we as the body of Christ are called to what I have heard recently described as the cross-shaped life. You can't have a Savior without a cross. We can't have a Christianity without a cross. Our Lord suffered and died for us. While I don't really remember when he was speaking, not even sure, I was really cognizant of a whole lot of things at that time. I heard recently Bob Mumford used to say something to the effect of, if you get close enough to the feet of Jesus, you get a mouthful of splinters. Because he suffered. Bonhoeffer has a statement that... uh, It just rings in my ears sometimes. He said in his book on discipleship, he said, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. This isn't part of my message, by the way. This is the transition. When God calls a man, he bids him come and die. Because we're called to a fellowship of sufferings. And this last song that we just sang to this morning is a communion song. Thank you, Pete, for leading us in that. It's a communion song. We're talking about the body and the blood. And Richard led us through a time of, of recognizing and remembering and really taking soberly the act of communion. Because it is a sober thing. He did suffer. He did die. He bled for us. His body was broken torn open for us. And it's in that that he gives us victory. But he he tells us, just as he told his disciples, if you're going to come follow me, you've got to take up your cross daily. Which means we can anticipate suffering in our lives. Aren't you excited about that? But it's in the fellowship of his suffering we find the closeness and nearness of him. Remember, the servant is not above the master. And our master led the way. So he calls us into these things. That cross-shaped life has a vertical component. We are each individually called for a personal relationship with our Savior, with our Father, with the Holy Spirit. We're all responsible for that. I'm not responsible for your relationship with the Lord. I am responsible as your pastor to lead you and encourage you and strengthen you and teach you. But I can't do your praying for you. I can't make your decisions for you. I can't do any of that. None of us can for one another. We're called to encourage one another because we each will face decisions daily Many of those things are internalized and will never be seen by anyone other than you and the Lord. But the outcome of where your heart is can ultimately be viewed by anyone because it will lead the decisions for where you step and where you walk in your life. But you are responsible for that. Likewise, that cross isn't only vertical, it has a horizontal component. We have connection with one another. 
We are called not to be an island unto ourselves, and that's just me and Jesus, and the rest of the world can go hang on a hook. No, you are part of the body of Christ, which means we need one another. I need encouragement from my brother or sister when I'm doing something stupid to come in and say, hey, I love you. And that might not be the wisest thing. Or I just want you to know I'm praying for you that the Lord's going to give you wisdom. Whatever it is that we have a horizontal component in there. And in the midst of it all, we suffer. We suffer through our lives. We can suffer persecution. We can suffer illness. We can suffer fatigue. We can suffer as we're weighing out the decisions about how we're going to move forward. That, that crucible there is a challenging place, and it's where the Lord refines us in that cross-shaped life. We were not called to an easy Christianity. We were called to a life in the Lord whereby the Holy Spirit would conform us to the image of the one that we call our King. So that when they see us, they see Him, and they see the Father. Still not my message for this morning. All right. So what is my message about this morning? We've been going through just an incredibly interesting time as a people recently. Again, that word interesting is far below describing anything that we've been going through. It's just one of those catch-all terms. But we have been going through a time in our experience as a people where the Lord has just been drawing us deeper and deeper into him in many ways. And one of the ways that he has been, I'd say, whetting our appetite and then just drawing us in deeply has been the area of prayer. Anybody else? Yes. He's been drawing us into the Word. He's been drawing us into His presence. He's been drawing us into worship. But recently, He has been focusing on us as a people, calling us to prayer, calling us to pray in deeper ways, calling us to uh, sometimes dust off the cobwebs and learn how to get back into that place with Him. And so I'm just so thankful to Him that He has been refining us and He's been drawing us into that. And so I'm, I'm going to start a series today about prayer. Because while we're experiencing this, it's important for us, I believe, to study it. Because I think in that place, he'll continue to draw us deeper. So as I, as I begin this series, just recognize this message today isn't going to touch on every aspect of prayer. It's not even going to touch on all of the key points of prayer because we could be here all week. That's not going to happen today. This is, I'm going to pop the top on this thing because we're going, to, we're going to dive into it. And I anticipate that as we speak about this, he's going to continue to draw us deeper and deeper into him. So, let's start with prayer this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for everything that you are doing. We thank you for how you are, are just stirring us as a people, how you, have, how you have invited us into a deeper place of intimacy with you, Lord, in prayer. I thank you, Lord, for the power that you have been releasing through the prayers of your people, Lord, over these past weeks, Lord. I thank you for the healings that we've been seeing taking place, Lord, the, uh, the travels that has been miraculously aligned, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father, right now for our brother Eric, Lord, and the turnaround that we've been seeing there, Lord. We just pray right now, take this opportunity, Lord, to say yes, Lord, more, Lord, 
of your power and your healing grace toward him and everyone else, Lord, that has been suffering from COVID, Lord. We just thank you. We bless your holy name, Lord. Lord, as we speak today about prayer, I ask that you would draw our hearts. Draw our hearts into that deep, intimate place with you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to come and teach us today. Lord, even things that I'm not communicating with my mouth, I ask that you would communicate by, by the Spirit, by your Spirit, Lord, to our spirits. And just draw us closer into you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's nothing in Scripture that would lead us to believe that living a prayerless life would end up producing any type of fruit that we would want. I can't think of any place in Scripture that would encourage us not to pray. Yet I think what we discover in our lives is, is oftentimes an apathy towards prayer or a fear. Maybe it's not so much a, a fear of what prayer would be, but of feeling like we would fail in prayer in some form or fashion. The enemy throws hindrances in our way to keep us from doing the very things that God knows are the best for us. So many of us may not feel confident in how we pray. We may feel intimidated by prayer and not even know how to approach it. And the enemy would like to keep us in that place as long as possible and as often as possible. But the constant and consistent beckoning of the Lord is into deeper and more intimate places of prayer with him. So if you feel guilt or shame or fear or any of those things, apathy towards prayer this morning, just let that thing fall away right now because that is not the purpose of this message at all. The purpose of this message is to draw you in and help you to see that God has great vistas of adventure for you in prayer, great vistas of purpose and journeys and strengthening and nearness as we step into prayer as a people. If you have never felt comfortable or confident in praying, I'm just telling you right now, the grace is upon us as a people in this hour where the Holy Spirit is drawing us into this. If you've never jumped on this train, this is when it's time to. If for whatever reason you've stepped off that train, it's in station right now, and the Lord is just asking you to come back and join him here again. Because he is constantly calling us forward to greater places of intimacy with him because it is his desire to have his purposes, his plans, his dreams, his intentions played out in the earth through his cooperation and coordination with his sons and daughters in the earth. God can do anything he wants. He can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, because he is sovereign and he, he rules over all of it. Yet he has chosen to limit much of what he does to our participation. Do I have any parents in the room here? Okay. Do I have any kids in the room here? Everybody raise your hands. (laughs) 
Parents, I believe that your heart towards your children is always that they would share with you what's going on in their lives. That when they're excited and happy, you would hear their joy. That when they need something, they would come to you and say, please help me. That when you've helped them, they would say thank you. That when they're pondering through the challenges that they're facing, they would come to you for counsel. That when they're going through hard things, they would come with you and just rest with you and snuggle. That when they do something that brings you pride and joy, that they would be close enough to you to hear, I'm proud of you. I love you. You're great. I can't wait to see what comes next. That there would be intimate fellowship with your children. Children, that's all of us. There's a burning desire in each one of our hearts to hear from our parent. I'm proud of you. I love you. I'm amazed by you. I've got great plans for you. I've loved watching you grow. Look how far you've come. Come close to me and let me hold you. One of the greatest challenges that comes in familial estrangement is the breakdown of communication between those who should naturally be so close. And I recognize that not all of us have great fathers and mothers There's pain in those places, but I do believe that it is the cry of all of our hearts to hear our Father tell us, I'm proud of you and I love you. The ultimate of that is to hear that from God, our Heavenly Father. And so prayer is not so much about cleverly crafted words to get what we want. It's not so much about making happen all of our desires. It's not even so much about communicating into an empty void to somebody who might be out there and just hoping that you can be heard. Prayer is intimate fellowship and communication with God. The one who is high above all things, created the heavens and the earth, the entire universe, all of it, yet cares about everything that you are going through. All of us, at all time, across time, in every intimate way. He is infinite and he is intimate with each and every single one of us. By prayer, we're able to speak with him, not at him. It's a communion. It's a fellowship. It's it's a conversation. 
there are times where we come and we petition the Lord for things, and we keep asking, we keep asking, we keep asking, we keep asking. And he brings us to those places where we, he asks us to persist in prayer. And I don't know what's always going on in that situation. But there are times where he comes and says, I've heard your prayers, and I'm going to answer that now. Why did he wait until then? Why did it take so much? I don't know. But it is a dynamic that takes place in prayer. It's in that place of prayer often that the Father discloses to us the things that he's about to do. Because parents, sometimes you want to surprise your kids that are going to Disneyland. But sometimes you want them to help plan the trip. Sometimes you need to send that faithful, mature child on your behalf to take care of something. And so you tell them, this is what I need to do, and this is what I want you to do. Now go represent us there. Prayer is an intimate and dynamic place. So again, I'm not going to get to all of it yet today. But it has a profound impact on our lives as believers. It has a profound impact on our lives as humans. God always intended for us to be in communication with him and to be in fellowship with him. Just look at Adam in the garden with his father. That was the picture of what God was after. Adam wasn't some distant person that got letters every once in a while. He would walk in the cool of the day with his father. They would talk about the rule and the reign over the garden. God allowed him to name the animals. He gave him responsibility. He gave him authority. He gave him power over the, the scenario that God had placed him in. But he was God's son in that place. And we see the last Adam, Jesus, doing the same thing. He draws away to intimate times with his father. He comes close to him. He listens to him. He seeks him. He wants to know what he's doing. He's getting his assignment. He's talking with him. He's in that place of intimate fellowship with his father because that's what the design has always been. And that is what he tells us that we're to do as well. Jesus modeled for us every aspect of what our life is supposed to be like in him. The way he loved, the way he cared, the way he spoke, the way he handled challenging situations, the way he prays. He's modeling for us what life is like and what it's supposed to be like. The ultimate of what life is supposed to be like. When the church first became the church in Acts chapter 2, you get this distilled form of what we're supposed to be like now in this new life in God, with the Spirit, living with Him not only in us, but releasing His power through us and seeing what fellowship is supposed to be like 
as the church. They, they became the church that day at Pentecost. And in Acts 2, 42, we see some really interesting things that take place. There's four key things that it says about them. And this is kind of that, all this stuff happened at Pentecost, and now here's the, here's the stamp at the end of it. It tells you, and here's how they persisted beyond this point. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things. Now, it talks about the apostles' teaching, or some places it says the apostles' doctrine. What it's, what it's telling us is that they were... They kept being present in learning and being available to, to learning about the Lord, learning about Scripture, learning about all the things that Christ had taught them so that they could be conformed into what God was doing in the church. Remember, they're coming out of a religious system and they're coming into life in the kingdom. And so they were learning from those who had been walking with him for three years. So they were being taught. They're committed to it. They're devoted to what they, were being, what they were being taught. To the fellowship. The word here is koinonia. And that is really a place where uh, there's participation, there's communion. Not, not necessarily the, the Lord's Supper, but communion where they're, they're with one another. There's that spiritual fellowship. This is where we start to see that, that unity of the Spirit where they're having the same types of experiences with one another, and they become bonded together through that. They identify with one another in that place. The breaking of bread. This can be taken a couple of different ways. This can be considered the Eucharist, the, the Lord's Supper, because, as we just heard, they were reminded, and as we are as well, to keep doing this, because it, it reminds us of what Christ has done for us Communion reminds us that we all have one single common denominator, and that is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's also that they were breaking bread at table with each other. They're having fellowship around the table. They were they're eating together at meals. They got to know each other. We we also know today that that is a powerful way of people bonding, sitting down and having a meal together. It just breaks through whatever other walls we've got going on as we just hang out in each other's kitchens and eat food and prayer. Prayer, both personal, corporate, and public. It is, prayer is an essential ingredient in the life of the church. In the life of the church, not just in the life of every Christian, but in the life of the church. The church needs prayer as a priority as God continues to build his church. Isaiah 56, verse 7. Well, I'm going to read 4 through 8 here. This is where what Jesus references when he goes to the temple and says, My Father's house is to be a house of prayer. Listen to what it says here. And I, I just love this because 
what Isaiah is capturing here from the Lord is that desire not only for um, just Jewish people to be part of the house of God, but God wants his house and has from eternity wanted his house to be comprised of all people from everywhere, all nations, right? And you hear that in this passage. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. That's, that's powerful. If you're a eunuch, you have, you have no progeny. You have no hope of that. And God is saying, I'll give you something better. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and, hold, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. God is bringing people in. He wants his house to be a house of prayer for all nations. We're living in a day where the body of Christ is made up of people from all nations. Every tribe and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and his body will be seen in the multifacets of all ethnicities and languages and people groups and all of it because that's who he is. He draws all men to himself because we all come from him. He is so good. A house of prayer. In Acts chapter 1, when they were waiting for Pentecost to take place, they didn't even know exactly what they were waiting for. They were told, go go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And so they went and they waited. And in that place, we see in 1 uh, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Constantly in prayer. This idea of constancy, or consistency and constancy in prayer is something that you see take place throughout Scripture. God is always calling His people to have their eyes focused on Him, to be in communion with Him, to be in that place where His voice and His plan and His purposes are the priority over everything. And that happens when we're living in that place of constant prayer, praying consistently with Him, speaking with Him, waiting on Him, listening to Him. Because prayer isn't just a one-way spouting out. Prayer is a, is a two-way dialogue. We engage Him, we encounter Him in prayer in all the various ways that we can pray. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, is this incredibly densely packed passage of how we're to live in the body. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. 
For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. No matter what else is going on, in every season of our life, in everything that we face, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. There's not a lot of room in that. But I promise you, in staying in that place of prayer, the other two, the rejoice always in giving thanks in all circumstances, comes a lot easier. Because as we stay close to the heart of God, He pours out His grace no matter what situations we are facing. He's always calling us to that place of living both in the moment but outside the moment. Living in time and space but existing in eternity. Romans 12.12 says this, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. The New King James Version says, Continuing steadfastly in prayer. NASB translates it as devoted to prayer. Prayer takes on many forms. Prayer is everything from the... That's prayer. Simple prayer. You got nothing else that you can even do? Even comes to your mind? You don't even know how to articulate it? Jesus. Jesus. If you have your prayer language, or whatever comes out of you, because your spirit is articulating things that your mind and your earthly language cannot. We commune with our Father. Prayer sometimes is carefully crafted because he gives us the words to speak specifically into the moment. He may say this, pray these words and declare them into this situation. He may invite you to do something specifically in prayer. Ask me for this. We know if we don't ask, we don't receive. So he wants us to ask. We'll often find that question in us. If he already knows what I'm going to ask for, why does he want me to do it? I know my sons want things too, but I want them to ask me for it. I want them to come to me and have that intimacy with me that even though they know that they, they know that I probably know that they're about to ask me for something. We have love and trust among us so that they can ask me those things. Regardless of whether they're going to get the yes or the no, they're going to ask me for that thing. They're going to come to me as their provider, as the one who loves them, who's watching over them, who has 
an understanding of where they're going and the way they're being shaped and the timing of their lives, that they would come and ask me for that thing. And I, being wicked, love to give good gifts to my children. But your heavenly Father, who is perfect, how much more will he give to us as we come to him in prayer? He is so good. Ephesians chapter 6, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That's that right there. That's the vertical and the horizontal. I love how Paul, in his letters, often starts them off, I just thank God every, all the time, continually in my prayers, for how you came to him and all the things that are coming forward in, in you. And he's reaching different regions and peoples. His prayer list must have been astronomically long. Because in the small snippets of the letters that he wrote that we have today to look at, we see that he is thanking the Lord, thanking God for those that he is writing to. Because he is bestowing blessings upon them. He's remembering them before the Lord. He's, he's asking for greater things to be poured out for them. He knows where there's challenges that they're having. The Lord is telling him about things. And he's praying. He's doing warfare apart from them in different distance. Because the, in the Spirit, there's no distance at all. And then we find at the end of some of his letters, he says, please pray for us. Or pray for me that I would preach the gospel as I'm supposed to. That I would be bold. Because he recognizes the power of prayer. It's, it's supposed to be like breathing for us. That in every situation, we could easily just, as part of the conversation, just reach out and pray. Because he's always in the conversation. Or at any moment when something's being told to us that we could offer praise to him, we just say, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus, for this. Because our heart is always inclined to speak to our Father. To pray to our Savior. To commune with the Holy Spirit. Praying constantly, without ceasing. You don't have to verbalize your prayers, but oftentimes it helps. Did you know the enemy can't read your mind? God can read your mind. He knows your inmost thoughts. He knows the intentions of your heart. He knows all of it. Nothing, nothing is hidden from him. Everything is laid bare to him. But not to Satan. He's been around a long time. He's probably got a good guess because he's been studying your life. He might have a pretty good idea of what you're thinking. But unless you verbalize it, he can't actually hear your prayer. And that prayer can release power for him to flee. He needs to hear it. 
But even if you can't, God knows what's going on inside there. Pray constantly. All right. Prayer is vital. It's important to every aspect of our lives. It's so important to the church that we see a really interesting thing take place in Acts chapter 6. This is where, um, this is some time into the church now, after it's been formed, and they're going through life together, and they have lots of practical ministry that's going on. They have supernatural power ministry that's going on. There's evangelism that's taking place. God is moving mightily among them. And then we come across this, this time where they realize we need some help in our leadership structure here. So let's do this. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. That should tell us a couple of things. You have two cultures that are coming together in one faith, and they're saying, we're not seeing equal stuff going on here. And it also tells you that the part of the church was a practical ministry of feeding people, of taking care of one another, especially the widows. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, this does not diminish the need for tables to be waited on and food to be distributed or to say that that's not necessary or not important in any sort of way. In fact, the very, the very fact that they're dealing with this challenge is recognizing that this is part of the church and it's extremely important. We have to figure out a way for this to work out. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what happens in this situation? You see, the apostles are in a place where they're recognizing that their efforts now have grown to a place that's untenable for them to keep their priorities in order in the role that they are playing in the church. And they recognize, because they walked with Jesus, that it was important for them to be in prayer and to be preaching the word. Not that they shouldn't ever wait on tables, but they didn't need that responsibility anymore. They had to distribute that responsibility and send it to somebody else and delegate it to someone else who could do that responsibly and... They're not just asking anybody to to go do this. They're looking for those who are faithful. They're looking for those who are wise because they know there's governmental things that are happening here and we need those that are filled by the Spirit and know what they're doing to do this well and excellently. So they take care of it. And what does that free them to do? It frees them to be committed to prayer, devoted to it, paying attention, close attention to to what the Father is doing, the day-to-day things, the far-out things, 
I mean, they are, they are distributing the body of Christ at this time. They are taking leadership in this place, and they are facing persecution. They need to be close in with their Father, and they recognize it. And also to the teaching and preaching the Word. This situation here affirms the priority of prayer in the life of the church. That those that have the, the high responsibility and authority need to be those that are committed to prayer and teaching. Because it takes that type of focus for them to really be hearing what the Lord is doing and to be in a place of responsibility and have the opportunity to be unencumbered by other things that aren't wrong, but it's not right for them. Because they carry that responsibility level where they need to be that close in with him. That doesn't get anybody else off the hook for prayer, by the way. What it shows, though, is in the leadership of the church, prayer is the priority. Our closeness with the Father. And we see this in the life of Jesus, in the way he ministered, in the example that he gave his disciples as he walked with them and as they followed him for three years in ministry. And we see in John chapter 5, verse 19, a critical and crucial verse about how Jesus did everything. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He was in that place of intimate fellowship with his Father constantly. And he needed those times to get away from everything else that was going on, go to the mountain, go to the the far reaches, and hide himself in a place where he could just be with his Father. Don't think that meant that he wasn't praying the rest of the time, but he needed those places of quiet focus with him. And it was a pattern that he used over and over and over again in his ministry. He was establishing for them Prayer is a priority. Constant, consistent prayer is a priority. And we see in Luke 11 the response of his disciples to that. Because they realize there's something different about how he goes about this than everybody else. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. A couple nights ago, we had a prayer gathering on Zoom. And one of the, one of the seasoned men in this house, a father in this house, as he got on to pray, his prayer echoed these words. He said, Lord, Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray about this. Because we were praying about COVID. We were praying about the Lord's protection over this house, over our people, over this region. And the cry of this father's heart was, Lord, teach us to pray. This man has known the Lord a long time. He knows how to pray. But he was in that, he was demonstrating that place of humility that says, Father, teach us how to pray. Teach us what we need to know now. 
Teach us the words that we need to speak into this particular situation. Teach us we're, we're humbled before you. You have a plan and a purpose, and we want to connect with heaven right now to release those realities here into the earth. Jesus says this, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. This is the abbreviated form of it. If you go into um, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a model for prayer. Now you can pray this. You can pray the Our Father. It's a great prayer. Jesus taught us to pray that way. But it's also a model for us of how we are to pray. We come to him first recognizing that he is our Father. He is our Father. Not only is He our God, He is our Father. It's the Abba, Daddy, I'm coming to you. What might this translate to for us today? Dad, you are the greatest. You're the greatest ever. There's no one that's greater than you. You're holy. You're awesome. Your name is holy. Dad, I just love you so much. You're above everything. You're bigger and better than the problem that I'm facing right now. So I just, I'm coming to you because I know I can trust you. I know that you're faithful. I know that you've got this, even though I'm scared and I don't know what to do. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. While we are here on the earth, before we go home to heaven, our destination is secured, right? But he hasn't called us home yet. So we're an ambassador here in this earthly realm. But we also have citizenship in heaven, which is prioritized over every other citizenship and every other relationship that we have to any grouping or nationality or ethnicity or anything else, because we are, we are kingdom first. And so as his representatives here in the earth, it's our, our right, our role, our responsibility to call on our Father and on everything that he has in his kingdom to be imported into the place that we are. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not only the things of his kingdoms, but, but what it is that he has willed and intended for this time. It's, it's a submission and a surrender to him, but a drawing on that to happen now, here, in this place. It's like he sent out an anchor and locked it there in the ground, which is you. And he's pulled on that line and he wants to send things down to earth from heaven through you. And it's like you tugging on the other end of that line. I'm ready. Send the stuff. 
Whatever the stuff is, send me the stuff right here. Because you need heaven's resources to where he's placed you. Give us today our daily bread. Whatever resource that is needed to sustain me today, I just receive it today. I thank you that you've already provided all of it. It's all there. And I don't have to worry about any of it. But give it today. And forgive me of my debts. Lord, everything that I've done wrong, I just thank you for your forgiveness. I'm so humbled, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that you're teaching me that I'm supposed to forgive others as well. Lord, help me to forgive. Because you forgave me. Help me to forgive. And don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me, Lord. Guide my path today. Don't let me step into the snares, Lord. Don't, don't allow me to be pulled off course, Lord. Help me to stay true and on what you're doing. Help me stay focused on you. Praying like this is a surrendered prayer. It's us drawing on him. It's remembering that he's in charge. It's allowing him to come and use us as an anchor point here in the earth for heaven and heavenly realities to come and be sent to the earth to where it is needed. It keeps us walking rightly before him. He was so good in teaching us that. It's a model for us. We use that pattern. In James chapter 5, we're instructed about what to do when, when someone's sick or in trouble. Starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. NASB says this, a prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. New King James, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The English Standard Version says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Can you tell that there's a few ways this thing can be translated? But each one of them speaks to a different aspect of what this reality is. As we come before the Lord and we pray, pray to Him, there's power that's released that changes the situation that we're in. We've been seeing that stuff. There's, a, there's testimonies right now in our church of that happening in and amongst us. We're seeing that as we've been going into these places of prayer with the Lord, that it's changing the circumstances in dramatic and powerful ways because he wants us to know that he hears us and he answers. 
And I love how James goes right from this into an example. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. One man with God held up the rain over a nation for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. He was given the authority to seize an environmental force until God said it was time. And then when he spoke again in prayer, as God's representative, rain came. And James says he was a human being, even as we are. That's an encouragement to you to recognize doesn't matter who you think you are or how low you think you are, how undeserving you are. Look what God can do with one person who surrendered to him. God is always intended to move through his people. Always intended. And he does. I'm jumping around through scripture today because I want us to see that there's all these places throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament where there's the consistent message of God beckoning his people to prayer, working through them, and dramatic things taking place. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that prayer does dramatic things in the earth. Jesus is the Word. And all things were created by and through him. When he speaks, everything changes. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. In Proverbs eighteen twenty one, we see this. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our tongues, our words, the things that we speak release either life or death. There's great power in the words that are spoken, the words that are written. The things that come across as words have incredible power in them. So when God says, say this, say it. Because it's like you put a spiritual bullhorn over your mouth. Say it because it's going to emanate into this situation. And it will change this situation. Words have power. So we need to wield our tongue carefully. The enemy knows the truth of what we're talking about here. He knows that when you're praying, it's danger for him. He'll do everything he can to keep you from praying. He will discourage you in every way he can. He will call you to question your motives. He will try to make you feel like there's no way God would listen to me and diminish your personhood and everything that he can to try to keep you from prayer because he knows how powerful and effective it is and it doesn't even have to be complex. 
It can be as simple as, "Mm." Mm. because he hears us. He hears us. And the enemy doesn't want you to do that. Let's look at Daniel. This is a great example of this. They're there in Babylon. And Daniel has the favor of the king. And he's helping to rule this nation. I mean, he is a chief counsel to the king. This is a big deal. And his enemies don't want him to have that type of influence. One, they're jealous of him. But remember, we're dealing with principalities and powers. The enemy doesn't want this man to be effective in helping this country along at all. And so they scheme against him. So in Daniel chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. And it's by no coincidence that they set up the scheme that they did. So let's just read it. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Recognize, he is an exile in this land, and the king is about to set him over the whole kingdom because he is so effective and so trustworthy. This man had the grace and favor of God dripping off of him. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs that they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. They have nothing on him. They are digging up every type of dirt that they can and there's nothing there. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So they tricked him. And they tricked him on the basis of something they knew Daniel wouldn't relent on. Why do you think Daniel was where he was in the first place? Because he had a life that was submitted to God and he was fervent and constant in prayer. He was constantly in prayer. It was not just a staple of his life, it was foundational in his life. And so they attacked him there. Now remember, these men are being led by spiritual forces of darkness against God's man. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He stayed constant, he stayed consistent, he was fervent in prayer, 
in defiance of an earthly mandate because he said, I'm not doing that. I'm following my God. I am constant and consistent and fervent in my prayers, and I will never stop, even if it costs me my life, because he is worth it. He knew what the penalty was. He knew it meant the lion's den, but he still kept doing it. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? Of course. They had him trapped. And we know that the king goes and he tries to find every single type of loophole that he can in the written words of the law because words matter. And his hands were tied, and there was nothing he could do. He loved Daniel, and he didn't want this to happen to him. He realized he'd been trapped, and he did everything he could, but it didn't work, and they had to put Daniel in the lion's den. So picking up in verse 19, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an, in an anguished voice because he cared about this man. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den, And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Hallelujah. Picking up in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language and all the earth. So he sent out an email to everybody he could think of. May you prosper greatly. The king blessed everyone who received this message. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Come on. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Hallelujah. That same God is your father. That same God is your father. That same constancy and consistency in prayer is what he is calling us towards. That we would recognize that our life depends so much on prayer that it would be the first thing that utters our lips in the morning and the last thing that utters our mouth from our mouth at the end of our day. That we'd be focused on him, that we'd be in communion with him, that we'd be hearing from him, that we'd be sharing our hurts and our joys with him. Prayer is powerful. It changes things. It shakes the earth. Let's read here. This is the last passage I'm going to read today. 
Acts 4, 22 through 35. This is after Peter and John have been before, I think it's the Sanhedrin, and they're, they've just had their bout there, and they've come back. It says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. This is, this is corporate prayer at its best, folks. Because remember, it's not just prayer individually, it's prayer corporately. Together, as we come together, even like we have on Zoom the past few times, even as we have in, in our gatherings together, even as we have when you're, you're meeting with your, your Bible study group or that other person that you call up to pray with, this is corporate prayer. In prayer to God, Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up together and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And my notes just disappeared, so I'll read from up there. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Hallelujah. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He shook that place. He shook that place. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens? They go out and speak the word of God boldly. When the church was persecuted, they didn't ask for God to let the persecution subside. They said, God, come fill us with boldness. We are in the fellowship of your suffering right now. Give us boldness that we may declare who you are, to continue to declare your gospel, your goodness, your faithfulness to the generations, that, Lord, anything that the enemy throws in your way isn't even a speed bump for you. So, Lord, just give us all boldness to speak and to continue to minister. And he did. What am I saying to us here today? What's the Lord saying to us here today? He's saying, even if you haven't really done this before, even if you don't feel comfortable in prayer yet, I'm drawing you and I'm beckoning you to come closer to me, to speak with me, to hear from me, to journey with me, to be emboldened, to be strengthened, to have my power released through you, my grace poured out among you. He's calling us to deeper and more intimate places with Him. Our prayers are powerful and effective, and God is calling us 
to meet with him there. We're going to continue in a series that looks at prayer from several different ways. Because like today, like I said, today is just popping the top on this thing because this is a broad place in Scripture. I would encourage you this week to go and start looking in the Bible for places that the Lord was answering people's prayers. Places where they were in hard spots and he showed up. Places where God completely transformed the situation that people are in because they, they fell on their knees and prayed. One person that comes to mind is King Hezekiah. Hezekiah cried out to the Lord, and God answered him in dramatic ways. And we see shifts that take place in what was supposed to happen in Hezekiah's rule because he humbled himself before the Lord, and he cried out to him in desperation, and God showed up. I encourage you, if you haven't been already, and I think everybody I know is, be praying for our brother Eric in the hospital. Uh, We have a website up now. Brandon, could you put that up on the screen? Uh, We have a website that you can go back and check morning and evening to see um, any updates that we have on Eric, and they have been so encouraging, and they've been so helpful for us in learning how it is that we can specifically be praying for our brother, and we just keep seeing more and more healing take place in his life. And so we just thank the Lord for that. We give him the glory, the honor, the praise for all of it, because he is doing a great work among us. He's calling us into this place. Start with him wherever you can right now. And as you do, he will continue to beckon you into more and more and more of it. Will you stand, please? Do you words? I'd like us to, for all of us, to pray right now. I'm going to practice what we're preaching. So, if you're with a group of people right now, um, this is going to be your prayer group. Okay? If you're not with somebody right now, look for some other ones that don't have a pair, or if you have an odd number of folks, somebody group with somebody who doesn't have anybody yet. I'll give you a couple minutes, or just a little bit of time here to shuffle around, draw close to each other, look around. I don't want anybody standing by themselves. You don't have to be closer than six feet apart if you don't want to be. That's okay. Now what we're going to do is we're just going to play, pray blessings over each other, okay? And you can all do this at the same time, okay? We're just going to be praying blessings for that other person that we're with or those other people that we're with, that the Lord would bless them, that he would increase them, that he would draw them close to him, and that he 
would increase their intimacy with him in prayer. That they would find a new place with him in it, and that it would be an abundant place for them. I'm going to pray, but we're all going to pray together. Okay? You ready? One, two, three. Father, I just thank you right now for your people. Lord, I thank you for everybody that's here in this room right now, Lord Jesus. We thank you for everybody who's at home right now too, Lord Jesus. Father, right now we just pray for an outpouring of your blessing upon their lives, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just pray right now that they would they would get a real sense of your presence with them, Lord Jesus. That your manifest presence, Holy Spirit, would be there with them. And that you would draw them into an intimate place with you, Lord, in prayer. Lord, I just say right now, we recognize that you're calling us to this place and we're saying, yes, Lord, we want to come. We want to go there with you. We want to go to new heights with you, new depths with you, Lord Jesus. Lord, as your disciples prayed, we just say, teach us, Lord, how to pray. Teach us, Lord, new places that we haven't been before. Lord, whether we are experienced or inexperienced in prayer, Lord, I just ask right now that you would open new doors to new rooms, Lord, for us in prayer. Lord, that we would find new places with you. Lord, that we would find that intimacy with you. Lord, that we would be constant. We would be consistent. We would be fervent in our prayers, Lord, as we come before you. And we just say, Lord, come, have your way. You, Father, are high above all things. You, Father, have a purpose and a will and an intent here in time and space. And we draw upon your kingdom right now, Lord. Lord, I just ask right now for you to increase upon your people, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone who's been fearful of entering into prayer, Lord, or feeling unaccustomed to it, Lord, or scared off in some way by the enemy. Right now, I rebuke that spirit of fear, Lord, and we speak power, love, and a sound mind over them, Lord. And Lord, that these people, Lord Jesus, who have felt like they don't even know how to access prayer, Lord, would become prayer warriors, Lord, that you would change and transform their lives in prayer right now, Lord Jesus. Lord, that we would find a new place in this. And Lord, that our Father's house, Lord, Our Father's house would be a house of prayer, Lord Jesus, for all nations. We just thank you, Lord, for your grace poured out among us right now. Pray your blessings over all of your people, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would teach us to utter specific words, Lord, but you would also call us into that intimate place, Lord, where we can just groan before you, Lord Jesus, as our spirit communes with your spirit. I just bless your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Folks, he's doing a work among us right now. The Holy Spirit is drawing us into intimate places with him. Listen, he's the one who builds his church. He's the one who builds his church. It's his intent. It's his design. It's his ways that we want. We just surrender ourselves to him. As we pray, as we fast, as we worship, as we serve, as we love, He does a true work in us and transforms us in the process. I can't wait to see what He's going to build here. God bless you guys. Love each other. Serve each other. Be praying for each other in this time. God bless you. Amen.